We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lourdes by donating to the Future Full of Hope Capital Campaign at lourdesdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Well, Jesus doesn't hold anything back this morning. Be perfect. (laughs) That's a challenge. Um, It's a beautiful challenge. It's a beautiful invitation the Lord makes to us um, because it comes with the promise that he can make us perfect. Um, Perfect in the Holy Spirit. You've got um, St. Paul who... um, explains to us that we are the the temple of the Lord and uh, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, a spirit of wisdom, and a spirit of holiness. Paul has been writing to the first Corinthians, and we've been following him for the last number of masses um, leading up into Lent. And uh, today, he's nearing the end of the letter And he says, don't you know that you are that temple of the Holy Spirit? And he says, you have everything that anyone else would claim to have, and you're not missing anything. With the Holy Spirit, you have everything that you need. Now, Paul is writing to a community that's intimidated by their their fellows, by their neighbors. Intimidated because their neighbors are making claims to have the best religion in well, the Roman Empire, maybe, in town. Uh, they've got the best religion, and they have two particular claims. One is that it's the most impressive, the most glorious religion. It is the most convincing, easiest sell. And then the other is that they have the secret wisdom that comes from, from their gods. It's a powerful religion first. It's one that celebrates the Capitoline gods of Rome. These are some of the the most powerful gods of, uh, that traditionally of Greece that became champions of Rome and of the Roman people. And now the people will go to these shrines, these temples, and the one at Corinth to worship the god who is the creator of all and inspires beauty, inspires people to great works of art and great feats of, uh, of their own creativity, inspires and gives life to the world. Um, so they go to these gods and they pray um, with hopes that they will, they, will, they will take on some of the spirit of the god. There's gods among the Capitoline gods that are uh, the gods of war. So if you go and you pray in front of this god, you're filled with power, with self-confidence, with strength. Then you can take that into your life and you can become successful and powerful. You can conquer the things that threaten you. There's a a God of romance so that you can be stirred up, your passions can get stirred up, and all the boredom and dullness of your life can be transformed so that you're filled with their power, these different spirits. And these, these religious people who are a great majority in Corinth are, are telling the, the Jewish Christians, um, what's your, what, what good is your religion? You don't even have a temple. You don't even have a little, you know, there's nothing, you have nothing impressive compared to us. And Paul tells them, you have the spirit of God. They don't know about this. 
but it's the only thing you need. It's everything that they're looking for in their fake gods, and it's more. You're not lacking anything. Don't be afraid of that. He gives them this great courage and profound um, sense of the power of Israel's God, the one God, who can do what all of these others claim to do. This is the spirit of, uh, of, of wisdom as well. These people in Corinth, they're, they're, they're kind of, um, the scholars look back and, and classify them as Gnostics. They're one of lots of groups that had kind of secret knowledge, religious groups that thought their secret knowledge was going to give you the inside track on how to be a religious person. And then you'll have a deeper connection with the gods. You'll have more peace in your life. You'll have more power in your life because this little group has, um, well, insights, special wisdom from on high. Um, but the Gnostics are exposed by the Christians in, uh, really throughout the first few centuries of, uh, of our era and kind of disappear. There's still stuff like Gnosticism, uh, people claiming to have this special religious knowledge and then to have the the upper hand in, in religion. Think of folks like the Scientologists. Any Scientologists in here? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where, okay, this guy wrote, uh, I don't want to be too hard on the Scientologists, but um, it's important to recognize um, kind of what goes on in the world and what people can be convinced by. So this guy who is a science fiction writer, he writes all these books. He had more than 40 books by the time he invented Scientology. And he says, well, here's a good religion. You got lots of aliens that have come down from the skies and have infested us like the coronavirus. And they get into our blood and there's lots of little aliens in your blood. And when you feel depressed or when you feel too angry or when you feel uh, less successful than you should, it's because those, those little aliens are angry or they're depressed or they're causing you trouble because they don't like you. And if you can become aware of it and you can do certain practices, you can get rid of them and then become godlike, like Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, uh, people want a certain perfection. People long for um, a certain novelty where if you say that you've got secrets, you can fool a lot of people. Now, eventually, things come to light, like with the Scientology. Um, once what your story is known, people can criticize it, and then you can realize, oh, that was silly. But people fall for things. And the Corinthians had fallen for things. They, had, they were worshiping false gods. And Paul comes along and he says, we don't have fancy wisdom we're not coming to try to convince you of secrets and try to coerce and manipulate you. We have the Spirit of God, and it's all that you need. That Spirit of Christ will reveal everything of the truth to us. But it's not a game, and it's not a, it's not a sales tactic. This is the deepest thing, the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying there's a different temple. They want to boast of their temple. We can boast of a different kind of temple. That is, the temple... Uh, where the Holy Spirit dwells, that is the church, the people. When he says, you are the temple, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's plural. It's not singular. Uh, it gets a little confused in the translation. 
He's not saying, don't you know that you should be the temple? Sometimes people interpret it this way. Like, you need to go and get the right um, diet and exercise to take care of yourself because you're supposed to be a better vessel for the Lord. Um, This is about you as the church are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are where God dwells most profoundly, where the wisdom of God is and the holiness of God is, his strength and his power. And that the, the lectionary matches this reading with, with readings of both the Old Testament and Leviticus and then our gospel that talk about the mercy of God and the mercy to which Jesus calls us to. It's a way of pointing in the direction of defining Jesus uh, or defining the holiness of our God. If the temple that we are is the temple where God resides, the question is begged, what, who is this God? And the Old Testament has uh, God revealing his name. Who is this God? He reveals his name twice in, in Exodus. The first time he reveals his name, God says, I am who I am. It's kind of like, don't ask. <laughs> it's not, it, the name doesn't mean a whole lot except, um, well, everything. <laughs> I am. And nothing. Just kind of like, no, you're not allowed to ask that question. But later, the, the name is re- revealed again to Moses. In Exodus 34, 6, Moses goes up on the mountain and he gets to see the, the glory of God from the back. And he hears, the Lord, the Lord full of compassion, the one who is merciful to many generations. This becomes the name. The name of the God of Israel is mercy, the one who is merciful. You have all these other gods, the God of power, the God of um, romance. You have um, gods that can do all kinds of things for you kind of give you the superpowers of, the, of uh, the supernatural world. And Paul is saying, don't worry about this. Jesus is saying, that's not what we're, to, we're worried about. God will provide. What we're worried about is this kind of holiness, this kind of perfection. What sets us apart, the word holy means set apart. What makes us holy, like our God is holy, is our exercise of mercy. That we forgive that we love our neighbor, that we, for, that, that we pray for those who hurt us, our enemies. And this is the kind of church that the Lord calls us to. This is part of the beauty of being a Christian, is that we don't have to win everything and win everybody over. We don't have to create our own success. We don't have to impress all these people. All we have to do is welcome the Lord and let him transform us and make us the kind of place, um, this is what he's doing, the work that God is doing, where the Holy Spirit dwells. Where people want to come around because we're the place of mercy. We bear the presence of mercy, the presence of God. People know uh, that in this fallen world, life is difficult and things aren't fair. Some people... um, they feel like they have to fight and fight and fight with life because it's frustrating when you feel like your things aren't fair. You know, the world is not just. I ran over a bolt the other day, 
and uh, took my car over to the discount tire. And they said, we can't repair this. We have to replace it. They replaced the tire, and it was one of the most expensive 20 minutes I've had for a long time. <laughs> a friend said, well, you must have bad karma. Um, you must have bad luck because you did something. I don't know what he thought I did wrong. Uh, I like to think of it rather the other way of um, now, the, now the universe owes me, you know. Uh, I, that was a pretty bad moment, bad luck. But the truth is, I don't believe in luck, and I don't believe in this sort of um, perfect reciprocity of the universe. Something goes wrong, something has to go good. Something goes good, something has to go wrong. Um, the world is much more of a mystery. We don't know how, how things, why things are the way they are, why things aren't fair. And our job is to look at the world that isn't fair and say, I can't fix everything and make it right. You know, I'm not the arbiter of justice. I can't, I can't look at someone who is, is wrong and say, I'm going to fix you. You hurt people, I'm going I'm to show you how to, to, be, uh, to be right, how to be fixed, how to be different. I'm going to change you. You know, we look at our enemy and we, we know that we can't change people. We can't fix everything that needs to be fixed. But there's a call then to something deeper. Mercy is when, with, without having to fix something, without having to make it right, without, without even the possibility of justice sometimes, uh, we go above and beyond and we love you know, people who don't deserve to be loved. Um, situations where that, that where love is over and above. It's a sacrifice. So there's a challenge and a call here from Jesus today to show mercy, to get back to the basics you know, of our religion. It's not that complicated. Love God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself. But it's, the difficulty is that it's, it's hard to forgive. It's hard to love our enemy. It's hard to let go of grudges when Jesus talks about all of these ideals. But he promises us the Holy Spirit, and Paul reminds us, you have it in you. What you can't do, God can do, and he's given you his spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not just you. You're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit. So we're getting ready for Ash Wednesday. That'll be this Wednesday. And I encourage you to take up a practice that the Jews do at the beginning of their new year. Before the Jewish New Year, Jews will ask for forgiveness for anything that they did wrong the, the previous year, and they'll offer forgiveness for anything um, that, where they've been wronged. You know? Sometimes it's not entirely possible to find people and to express that. Sometimes it's not prudent. Um, but you can do that in your heart and in your prayer. In these days before Ash Wednesday, say, Lord, help me to let go of all the grudges in my heart. Help me to wish people well, to offer forgiveness, starting here, and then, if possible, face-to-face uh, -face with people. Help me to pray for my enemy. Help me to pray for all of those political rivals that annoy me and I hear on the radio who are undermining my sense of, of and my conviction, the truth of what the society should look like, what the world should look like. Those who are persecuting Christians, um, and it happens all the time those who are persecuting us. Lord, give me the grace to pray for everyone. Unburden me of the grudges and the fears. 
And this is the kind of preparation the Lord is doing. Let us enter into, into Lent renewed in the fervor in the spirit of mercy.